0: I'm Christine Russo, and welcome to What Just Happened. Today, we welcome Simeon Siegel, Managing Director and Senior Analyst, Retail and Ecom, BMO Capital Markets. Welcome, Simeon. My position on retail in the public markets is, it's a bad fit. That's my opinion. What's your opinion?
1: So your question is, public companies and retail in the stock market are bad? Discuss.
0: I don't think we have a hero to point to to say, yes, this is it. This is the one as it relates to public markets and retail. I mean, we do not have any real hero to to really sort of say, well, that's it, that's the blueprint. Maybe Costco, but they're right now on, the, on a slide, but that's just, it, you know, it's Costco. So it's unusual and they'll be back.
1: To me, what's really important when I think about retail, which retailers have consistency, because the question of where does retail fit in the stock market is where do you have consistency, where do you have predictability? You have a lot of predictability when your consumer and the company agree on what's going on the problem the headbutt happens when a department store believes they don't need to give a lot of service they'll have low operating expenses but the customer believes they are going to they should get the best deal right the headbutt the zero-sum game happens when there's no agreement but in any business if the provider of the service can agree with the user of the service it's going to be a better model and those are the businesses that are great because there's plenty of very large retailers in the public market, like Victoria's Secret and Under Armour, generally are viewed by the media world, by the consumer world, by, the, by any headline as being a dead brand. Time has passed them by. And yet, they do over $5 billion of revenue. That's a lot of revenue. And so what I really believe is revenue is a measure of brand sizing. Revenues tell you and I if a customer likes the product. How? Because they bought it much more than NPS, much more than any survey, much more than an intent to purchase, the fact they bought it says they like the product. Gross margin, the health of the business, that gross tells me what the value, what the brand should be worth. And so when I think about the size of a business based on its stock price, it's potentially a nice validation, but it is actually not, I believe, the predictive measure. The numbers are what I'm supposed to use to figure out what stock's gonna be
0: tomorrow. So the gross margin, I think, is the report card for the operators, the business itself. And I it's think
1: different. a gross margin tells me if something's healthy, a revenue tells me if it's big.
0: There you go. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that.
1: We know the luxury businesses, Nike, right? There, there's a lot of very large businesses that manage to create consistency.
0: What you touched on is consistency. The issue with publicly traded retail is you, it's astounding to sit in on earnings calls or hear the kind of recap and it's like well you know it rained on a wednesday we didn't make our numbers i mean what huh what yes that's actually a real thing there is very little consistency and that's because separate from what you're saying or in addition there are so many outside factors when you're completely dependent on consumer discretion consumer engagement So the U.S. economy is 70% consumer spending, right? So you could argue almost all publicly traded companies are consumer facing, most, let's say 70%, whatever. Now, it depends on how far upstream you are. So the retailers are frontline, they're right there. So whatever the consumer's doing, high, low, money, no money, flush, not flush, jobs, no jobs, they're right there. They're going up and down with it. And that's where I think As an investment, it becomes very, very challenging because you can't get a hold of predictability and consistency. Now, you brought in an outside factor that, yes, those are the standouts. Now, they still go up and down as well, but those are the standouts, the ones that deliver on their promise.
1: When we think about what are the businesses in retail that have consistency, which is key to long-term duration in stocks, you have to think about businesses, in my opinion, in terms of whether they drive volume or whether they drive margin. They rarely go together, right? So not always, And but in the consumer world, they rarely go together because the way that, and, and I'm overgeneralizing, I'm sure there's there's exceptions, and I'm sure I'll, we'll, we'll realize them as we go, and I'll come back and I'll contradict myself, and that's okay, we want to learn. But in the meantime, need-based businesses, consumer staples, drive a lot of volume. They become very big businesses when they work. You always get the same toothpaste until someone else convinces you to, and then it's a very sticky machine. But they have very low margins, right? Think big box retail. Huge businesses, all about the volume. On the flip side, want-based businesses, consumer discretionary, which I'm being honest, is what gets me going. I love the human game theory. Want-based businesses generally are smaller businesses because the TAM is more particular, but they have pricing power. They have margin. And so they're smaller but healthier. The best businesses fuse both. And so we all need food, clothing, shelter. Do we all need the glass? Does it need to be a Starbucks coffee, a pair of Nike shoes, or a penthouse condominium? Certainly not. But if you can appeal to something people need, you have volume. If you can force that need into something that people want, you have pricing power. That's magic. And so figuring out how to do that consistently is important. It's not the only way to success. Big Box is an incredibly successful business and they're incredibly valuable in terms of valuation. They're, they're very high valued stocks. But when you think about both, like the true Venn diagram of beauty happens when you can take something that some people need and turn it into something that people want.
0: Retail as an industry and as it affects publicly traded retail companies suffers the most from anecdotal exposure. Why? Because you said it, we're all consumers. We're all out there buying the mug, doing the shopping, experiencing our own things, looking at our circle, and then making some business type of assumptions based on where the performance of the retail brand and company comes in. Whereas other parts of publicly traded, other sectors don't have that. I can't really comment on how much steel so-and-so is buying this year versus whatever. But retail has that happening as it relates to media coverage, financial media coverage, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, whomever, the the engagement of retail publicly traded IPOs, even, even for private market investment, for venture capital. There's this, as you said, this bias, this anecdotal piece that comes into play. How do you, as an analyst... Sidestep all of that and keep the guardrails on and stay focused.
1: Intellectual honesty is really important. Don't let your bias control you, let it help you. It should be the first step in the process. But then after that, you need to actually do some real numbers and think through and be be honest with yourself and say, just because I like it, does that mean others will as well?
0: Here's a question for you. And maybe you can pull the curtain back a little bit because I have my own perspective on this. and. It- I could be wrong, which I often am. So when you have, particularly, let's say a D 2 C, because we've had a, a we had some several D to C companies going public, and when you're when you're of that size, right? First, you have to determine what the value is to go public, and then very much on the heels of that, kind of produce information on where you think it would go with the public funds. The challenge that I see for a retailer when they are out there getting the public funds is that for the most part the funds are used for opex and capex and i actually think that public funds should be used for much bigger initiatives and innovation so i actually don't believe that public funds should be used to operate your business now maybe okay we want to ship more we need a bigger warehouse i actually Feel like if that's where the bulk, let's talk in percentages, if that's the bulk, you're actually not able to fund your own business. You're actually, it's going to show up in the stock price going down because you're not fundamentally, your balance sheet isn't fundamentally strong to pay for your own OPEX. That is my opinion, being on the side of inside publicly traded retail companies and private retail companies. What are your thoughts?
1: So that's a really interesting and loaded question. I think you're right in that it's always gonna be more interesting to have strategic investment focused on the future because otherwise you're just running in place to hopefully stay in place. That said, I also think companies that ignore, I believe ignoring OpEx and pretending it didn't exist, which I know is not what you're saying, but I know ignoring OpEx, I believe pretending ignoring OpEx is the reason we got into the trouble with the digitally native D2C belief that it was great. I think at the heart, And you and I have talked about this. My team did a report about two years ago that that I get asked about still somewhat daily, which is interesting, called D2C is not all it's cracked up to be. And the premise or the rather the conclusion was wholesale is great. Don't sleep on wholesale. Wholesale is a a amazing, when done right, when done right, is an amazing way to heavily distribute your product through good channels at a phenomenally low opex because you're letting the partners do the work for you. So it got this bad rap for various reasons. Increasingly, I think that is becoming less, less accepted. So that's good. People are appreciating it. But if you think about some of the newer brands that are succeeding, as opposed to some of the newer D2C brands, the D2C brands that are fading, a bunch of them actually embraced good partners like Nordstrom and REI have, have become this very good partner for a lot of up and coming. And they're no longer up and coming. They're now several hundred million dollar businesses. So one, I think Ignoring OPEX and believing it would go away. And the problem would all be solved with revenues was at the core, of the problem of the belief in D to C because gross margins look better. OPEX looks worse, but we pretend OPEX doesn't exist. So as someone who is maniacally focused on building sustainable companies and brands, as opposed to kind of like flash in the pan, I, I would say, making sure you have your maintenance capex, making sure you have your ongoing OPEX very much accounted for is critical. It might not be fun, It's critical. So what do I use the money for? I think is an interesting conversation. So at the end of the day, whether it's the company going public or whether it's company raising a series A, B, C, D, E, the money being allocated, if it's being allocated strategically, needs to be split apart into what you're describing as, let's build the dream, let's build the future, versus let's make sure we can get there. And so I think that there has to be a balance and it doesn't mean 50-50. The danger is when you think, Let's spend all the money on on the dream. And what happens is the foundation falls. I think any time you take a dollar from an investor, you need to make sure what that dollar is going to cost you in the future and where you want to spend it accordingly.
0: In other words, some of the funds will be used for short to medium term term objectives, and some would be used for long term. So you take you kind of you splay out the strategy, which is exactly what you should be doing all day, every day. So and then.
1: And then optimally to your point, because you brought this up in this critical. optimally you get to a point where you become self-funding and where your business actually creates this capital. I'm a firm believer of watch how I spend rather than listen to what I say. And I'm also a firm believer of, if I believe that I have growth, I should buy fixed costs. If I believe that I'm maturing, I should variableize my expense structure. And so what I mean by that is, the way you make money is by paying rent once, and then getting more and more traffic into your store. You pay the fixed cost once and every incremental dollar is better. It's healthier. It's more margin because you only pay it once. If you have to pay that rent for every unit, if it's a variable cost, you never scale. There's never a benefit.
0: What you did describe with the variable and fixed costs was CAC. So CAC has killed everyone because it's so variable over each garment, each transaction. It could be as much, it could be this much, it was this much, now it's this much, maybe it's this much. I mean, that's why we are where we are now.
1: So I mentioned my team did a report, D2C is not all it's cracked up to be two years ago, around a decade ago, somewhere in that vicinity, we actually did a very similar report about e-commerce. <clears throat> what we argued about a decade ago was that when e-commerce came onto the floor, all companies were ecstatic because they viewed it as we're about to remove labor. We're about to remove rent. This is going to be great. And that was the view. And my team, we did set out to hit, to bust that myth. We set out to prove it, or at least to show it, but we found in this report was sure, you may have fewer costs straight up with e-commerce, but they were all variable. Whether it was CAC, which wasn't even that big for the last 10 years ago, became a problem, but whether it was simply the OPEX we're talking about was all variable because you did have to pick PAC, ship all that fulfillment more marketing then by the way that turned into reverse logistics which was everything backwards it was very expensive to sell an e item but the problem was it was very expensive to sell every e item it didn't get better with scale whereas a fixed cost with a store it gets great with scale so yes in a vacuum rent and labor cost more but not when you thought about it as a fixed cost And so what we did in the report was show if we looked at the cost to drive a store as if the same way we'd look at a cost to pay a CEO, you pay it once and then the rest of the business accounts for it. All of a sudden, econ became dramatically margin diluted. It became very dangerous to the profitability of the business, which no surprise, 10 years later, clearly is what happened. And so what was so interesting was this idea of remembering that the structural problem with e-commerce, that this was the argument we were making was you have a business that never improves with scale don't think scale is going to fix it and that's the danger with variable businesses as you grow
0: to think that you wrote that 10 years ago produced that report 10 years ago and it fully came to fruition fully fully
1: i again i i, I cannot stress enough this idea of the anecdotal and like being able to compartmentalize, being intellectually honest because I appreciate you saying that. But what's funny is we did it again two years ago with this wholesale. It was the exact same. And you and I've been talking about it through this process where when I first, when my team first put out this report that wholesale is great. We got lambasted. It was, it was, we were attacked. Right. And it was like, and, and it's fine. Like, I don't, I don't mind that as long as the data argues it because inevitably that plays itself out there was this notion that go direct, eliminate the, the middle person. You cut out a toll collector. I was like, you don't cut out a toll collector. You just become the toll collector and you're not going to do it as well as they will.
0: What you're describing is this place where we ended up, I'm not so sure we're still there. I think we're out of it. And a lot of it is because of your work. But we ended up in an industry in distribution wars, a lot like color wars in camp where it's like, no, this is, this is, I'm doing this theme and I'm going to have dances and songs and events and conferences and people together and webinars on this theme. And I'm going to do that theme. And those people are going to do that theme when, why, why did that even happen?
1: There are a lot of buzzwords in this sector. It's a very buzzword sector. And so whether it's, oh, we're all focusing on AI now, so let's figure out how to put AI in Before that, it was okay, let's have leisure. We need to make sure we have two-way stretch, then four-way stretch. Now it's 13-way stretch. However, many, like you follow certain things and you invest behind them to make sure you have the better one until a new version comes. And so I think that 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 circularity ends up driving a lot of what happens. And so if enough people say that e-com is great, most people will take that for granted until they realize it's not. If enough people say wholesale is bad, most people that becomes the pitch book that becomes the pitch deck that you bring to every vc or to every institutional investor to raise money and it just becomes ingrained until you find out that wait a minute d to c is not all it's cracked up and i i'm very flattered that you say it was because my work it wasn't because like we we pointed it out like this was going to happen i did not i was not an agent of change i think that what people at some point we have to realize is it was math And math always it.
0: I believe in wholesale. I actually am entrenched in wholesale on a B2B side in various ways. As a distribution strategy, you've taken the position of like, why should this be ignored? It shouldn't, and here are the reasons.
1: It'll be great as long as operationally, it gets a lot of product to the right people at an economic cost.
0: The bigger discussion here is that we're no longer subject to one form of distribution, that there are ones that have been existing that should be factored in and there are ones coming down the pike that should be factored in. And from a big picture standpoint, are we saying to be less singular in distribution strategy and more distribution agnostic?
1: I would not personally say to be agnostic about any part of your business. And I you know that wasn't what you meant. Like I don't when people say oh, I don't I'm not I'm channel agnostic, I just care about the customer, that's a nice thing to say, but you better care about your channel because that's how you're going to get to your customer. My thought is, we talked about buzzwords. One of the biggest buzzy words we've had in in the past decade was omnichannel. The fascinating thing about omnichannel is omnichannel was created, it was entered into our lexicon to effectively talk about e-commerce. Over COVID, over the last five plus years, omnichannel went from being omni to actually just talking about e-commerce. And we forgot you're supposed to have many channels. And so I think figuring out For every individual company, where do you, where are you best aligned? What makes the most sense for you is absolutely critical. So I wouldn't be channel agnostic. I'd be very channel caring. And I think at the end of the day, there probably is, right? Some avenue where you should have certain version of stores slash showroom, whether it's yours or someone else doing it for you, but a physical presence. There should be certain version that you're just giving it away to someone else to do however they want as long as you trust the partnership. Certain of that can be online. Certain of it can be on your own site. Certain might be in random distributors and random parts of the world. It's the brand's job to create a product that will reach and be used by a consumer. That middle step, that's a form of execution. That's a business plan. That's just, that's just deciding how do I, how do I bridge A and B or A and C, I guess. So figure out how to bridge it the same way you figured out how to get costs inputs to create your product in the first place. I care (laughs) what things are called too much because they make for a good pitch. I care about what they do. And I think it goes back to your question of how do we keep chasing things that don't make sense? I think at the end of the day, I just need to know how do I get my product into the hand of the right consumer in the most economic way? And that's my three, my my power of three, then you're going to win.
0: Well, this was fun. I hope you had fun.
1: I I had fun. Always fun.
0: Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. You are the voice of retail.
1: Oh, boy. You're going to make me blush. But thank you.
0: Thank you for sharing so graciously, all of your thoughts on this show and throughout the industry. I think your presence and commentary and work in the retail industry is extremely contributory and we all thank you, appreciate it.
1: My pleasure.